0: I know lots of people don't like that idea, but listen everybody submits to something or someone. If you get a job, you in a sense, have submitted yourself to that employer. So if that employer says, this is your hours, you do that. If you don't work these hours, you don't get paid. That's part of the process. And we live in a culture that does not enjoy topics of submission or surrender. But I'm here to tell you, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not surrendered to Jesus, you're not a follower of Jesus.
1: Surrender is part of life. Whether it's an employer, a parent, or simply to something you can't control, you've surrendered at some point. This isn't something you'd probably like to admit, though. Pastor Daniel today will remind you that being a follower of Jesus is surrender, and if you're committed to him, you've given who you are to him. That's a positive thing, though. Your soul is filled with joy and peace when you spend time at Jesus' feet. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Ruth chapter 3 as he begins his message, A Unique courtship.
0: too ashamed to confess that I'm a great fan of a good love story. You know, sometimes people say, you know, that's like not a manly thing to say, but listen, I I love my dad. My dad was great, but my mom was around a lot and I had two sisters. So, you know, kind of when you're as a family and you're like choosing family movie time, me and my dad were always get outvoted. You know, I mean? I mean, even like when my dad was at work, I'd be with my sisters and they're like, Hey, we, you know, want to go see this movie? And I'd be like, Hey, can we go see like this, like, you know, special effects movie or a cop movie or something? And they'd be like, no, I get voted down every time. Now as a young man, obviously I was trying to make sure that like, that they knew that I was like a man. And so like, I would never tell them that I liked it, but deep down in my heart, I really liked the stories. And then, of course, I got married. You know what I mean? And it's like, I want to hang out with my wife. And so, you know, it's like, you can be like, Hey, listen, we can watch this like end of the world thriller movie or any movie with Meg Ryan in it. And my wife was like, Meg Ryan, you know, and I want to hang out with my wife. I, she's, she's cool, you know. And so if that's what it took, that's what I was watching. And so, and it's funny now that like, as I've gotten older, like me and Lynn will be watching a movie or something. And, you know, of course, there's previews, like 97,000 previews. I've gotten so housebroken and well trained at this point that I'll see one and I'll notice Lynn. I'll be like, oh, that's going to be really good. And she's like, yes, it is. You know? (laughs) But like, I've learned to appreciate a beautiful love story. And, you know, it's funny because I think about, you know, someone's bound to ask, you know, so what's your favorite love story out of all of them? Obviously, it's. Mine and Lynn's story, it's it's the best story. The story that of what God did to bring us together. Now, I know you want me to tell the story, but I've also been housebroken enough to know that I'll tell the story not adequately. So you have to ask Lynn, because she'll tell you the story the right way. Every once in a while, I'll be telling the story to someone. She's like, you're leaving out all the best parts. I'm like, oh, really? I'm like, well, you want to take it? And she just zooms right in there and tells So ask Lynn, she'll love to tell the story, but you got to, you know, its it's a good story. It's a God story. And so a good love story is powerful. Now, the reason I bring this up is because we're at that place as we're doing this series called Oasis in the book of Ruth that now we see that there is a love story that is blossoming, you know, that this woman, Ruth, who has walked by faith by choosing Naomi And the God of Naomi and the people of Naomi, now we're in that place where something is beginning to transpire. Now, here's the thing. What you have to realize in the Bible is the Bible tells the story of people, but the Bible's always interested in a greater story. And really, it's the story of God in the midst of the lives of people. We love our own love stories and we love the idea of God bringing a man and a woman together and they fall in love and they live happily ever after. You know, it's like our whole culture was captivated by the royal wedding, you know? And it was funny because like, I'm like watching this and I'm like, I wonder why everyone cares so much. That, that, that was, you know, and that's me being a total dude, you know, like, I don't get why. And then it's like, it's like a princess story. I'm like, oh. I didn't even think about it, you know? So, yeah, I mean, it's... It's a princess story. And so we love these ideas of these love stories, but there's a greater love story that the Bible really wants to talk about. And that's the love of God for people. You know, and this idea of the people of God being the bride of Christ. You know, you have all these pictures that the Bible uses to remind us that God loves people and God came to create the ultimate love story that Jesus would lay down his life. You know, and so even as we look at this blossoming love between Boaz and Ruth, we realize that Boaz is a beautiful picture of Jesus. Boaz is the redeemer of this woman, this woman who was lost and destitute. And Boaz not only can do it, he wants to do it. He chooses to do it. And so really we see now as we take this next step in this series, we really see the gospel, the good news of Jesus being on display in the life of Ruth in a very powerful way. So open up your Bibles to Ruth chapter three, Ruth Chapter three, as we continue this series that we're calling Oasis. So if uh, I want you to, if you brought your Bible with you to church, I want you to pull it out. Finding the book of Ruth is really easy. It's towards the beginning of your Bible. You have the five books of Moses, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then you have the book of Joshua. Then you have the book of Judges. And then you have the book of Ruth. Now, Ruth, you could miss it because it's a short book. It's only four chapters long. So it sits between the book of Judges and of course, First Samuel, and of course, if you brought a smart device with you, I mean, I think it's super cool that like you can just pull out your phone and you can find pretty much anything you want to find in the world, like right there. It's kind of a cool thing. So you can put Ruth chapter three in the phone too. I still prefer reading the Bible in the book because I'm just retro like that. I don't know. There's just something about the pages and the whole thing. I just, I still love that. So I, I haven't converted to be completely digital, but that's my own journey. So it starts like this. In Ruth chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now, Boaz, verse 2, whose young woman you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be that when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go in, uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now, I know I just read that, and all of you are like, what is going on? You know, I call this message a unique courtship, because we read this, and in 21st century Western context, you're like, what is going on here? But I'm going to explain it to you, so don't worry. Now, what I want to say before we get any further is... I wouldn't recommend doing it this way, (laughs) okay? But in that culture, this is totally culturally appropriate way for courtship to happen, right? And I'm gonna unpack it for you. Now, if you recall, as we finish Ruth chapter two, Boaz's kindness towards Ruth and Naomi has been extraordinary. Where in the midst of the harvesting time, Boaz sees Ruth and he knows her testimony and her testimony opens doors and he looks out for her and he takes care of her. Right? And then if you recall towards the end of Ruth chapter two, Naomi makes the case that, Hey, Ruth, whatever you do, don't go into any other field. We don't want Boaz. You just go to Boaz's field. It's going to be super fine because Naomi is smart. She's a wise woman and she cares about Ruth. And so by the time we get to verse one, Naomi says to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? So she's saying, listen, Me and you together is good, but there's a a greater rest that's available to you. And we've been making the case that in that culture, a woman who did not have a husband or adult children who were sons were completely vulnerable. It was long before our day and age where women were able to work outside of the home, all these things. In that culture, they were vulnerable. And so what Naomi is saying to her is, should I not be seeking a spouse for you? So Naomi begins, she puts on her, she's her mother-in-law, but she puts on her matchmaker hat now. She's like, I'm gonna work this thing out. Now listen, For those of you who are single, if you want to get married, you should find a good matchmaker. I'm not kidding. Somebody who loves the Lord, knows people who love the Lord, because you want to get a good matchmaker. Now, remember I told you about Lynn and I, it's my favorite love story. Well, my pastor's wife was actually our matchmaker. You know, and it wasn't like, you know, we just like got married one day and we, you know, like an arranged marriage. But I was talking with my pastor's wife about it just recently. You know, she used to give me a hard time. I was planning a church in New Jersey. She's like, man, you are really messing up with Lynn. I'm like, what are you talking about? She's a godly woman. She loves Jesus. She's going to make a great pastor's wife. But if you don't get in there right now, you're going to miss it. And I used to be like, will you leave me alone? Will you leave me alone? You know, I'm like, I'm busy here, you know. But then eventually I felt like the Lord was like, Daniel, you should listen to Hillary. You're being a bozo. And God got, literally just a couple weeks ago, Hillary said to me, she's like, I did a good job, didn't I? I'm like, I'm like, yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. I'm like, I'm not so sure if it was good for Lynn, but it's great for me, you know? So Naomi's looking out for Ruth and then notice what she says in verse two. She says, now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative now? If you've been studying through this with us, we've been making the case that in that culture there was something called the leverite marriage where if a woman was widowed without you know, a uh, male heir, then a near relative, normally it would be the next oldest brother or one of those would come and they would redeem this woman. They would raise up an heir for them. And I know it sounds crazy, but that was the way the culture worked. It was a way to protect women in a culture where women were not protected at all. It was very unique. If you read other literature from the same time period, you almost have nothing like the things you find in the Bible, the way to protect women. And so what Naomi is saying is that Boaz could be your redeemer. Boaz could receive you as his wife, raise up offspring and you will be protected. And so Naomi's got a plan. Notice what she says. She says, in fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now, really what this means is we saw Ruth in the midst of the harvest. So I've never worked at a farm In my life and so, but I've read about it. And so those of you who have worked the land, you know that this goes that when a field is time for harvest, you harvest it. But when you harvest it back in the day, it wasn't done. You harvest it and then you would take all of the harvested grain and then you'd go to the winnowing floor and it would be the time to separate the fruit, the edible piece from the outer shell that protected it. And so you would harvest, you take all the things you harvested to a place called the winnowing floor. Now in most communities in that day, there was one winnowing floor for the entire community. And really what it was, is it was a house that was set up which would have open walls on two sides where the wind would go through and they would take this thing called a winnowing fan and they would throw the grain up in the air and because the fruit was heavier, it would fall down and then the outer husk, which just blow right out, out of the room. And so you'd be able to, and it was a simple process. So they would do this. And so what would happen was is landowners would reserve time at the winnowing floor to be able to harvest, you know, they've harvested their grain, but now they're going to separate the wheat from the chaff. If you know the Bible, that's a big picture, right? It's that which is fruitful as opposed from that which is not. And you know, the Bible always speaks of how God is glorified when we're fruitful and the chaff is going to be burned up with unquenchable fire. Now I bring all this up Not only is it here But it's the idea that You want to make sure That your life is fruitful And I'm here to tell you The only way for your life To be fruitful in a way That you are not judged Is by putting your faith And trust in Jesus Jesus said without me You could do nothing I remember the first time I read that as a seeker Reading the Bible And I thought to myself Yikes Like you know And reading it at this point In history where you're like You know you're not supposed To talk that way I'm like man Jesus is really not very uh, politically correct right now. Without me, you can do nothing, he says. And the thing is, is, the only way for us to be fruitful, not with any sort of fruit, but with the fruit of the Spirit, is to abide in Christ. To be, put your faith and trust in him. And to allow Jesus to connect you to himself. He is the vine and we are the branches. And as we trust in him, his essential life that was bought for us at the cross. by his, The way that he lived that makes its way to us and bears fruit that redounds for God's glory and into eternity. And so this picture of the wheat and the chaff, Jesus uses it. And so... Boaz is now going and he's harvested all the grain, but now it's time to separate the chaff, the outer protective layer that was inedible from the fruit that he could use. And so I look at Naomi's counsel because she knows that Boaz is going to be working at the winnowing floor. It says this in verse three, therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, verse four, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down. He will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. I'll put it to you this way, that you and I need to learn how to put yourself at Jesus's feet. That's really what this is about. We have to learn how to put ourselves at the feet of Jesus. See, what Naomi is recommending is, Naomi is recommending, listen, I want you to go to the windowing floor, and as Boaz is doing all his work, when it's time for him to go to sleep, I want you to go and I want you to lay at his feet. And when he wakes up, he's going to tell you what you should do. Now, don't miss the fact that she also says you might want to get yourself cleaned up a little bit. Now, I don't want to overstate this, but really, you have to realize that They lived in a culture where there wasn't showers and spas. I mean, it was a much different hygienic style of a culture. And so people didn't, you know, go buy special dresses for special occasions. You know, people didn't have, you know, closets full of clothes and shoes. And so it was a much different culture. And so really what he's saying is that like you need to make, she's saying, you need to make sure that you put yourself together and that you wash yourself because people didn't bathe every day. You know, there's lots of cultures in the world that are still like that today. You know, we live in an overly, you know, maybe not an overly, but in a hygienic culture. So she's like, listen, I want you to anoint yourself with oil. That was fragrant oil. And I literally want you, I don't see him until he goes to sleep. And then when he goes to sleep, I want you just to, to put yourself at his feet. Now, you notice, where does she say she wants her to put herself? At his feet. So this is not anything inappropriate. This was an old courting ritual. Naomi knows that when he wakes up and he notices there's someone at his feet, he's going to ask some questions. And this was her way of saying, I want to surrender to you. I would like for you to redeem me. That's what she's saying. You know, and so this is not, you know, because it's funny. You read Bible commentaries or speakers and people go freak out about this, like how improper. No, no, this was a normal way that this happened. And she's not saying, listen, I want you to show up there and I want you to put your moves on him. No, it's like, wait till he goes to sleep, lay at his feet. And when he wakes up, he's going to tell you what you should do. And I think this is beautiful because in the exact same way, this is what God is asking of each of us. The idea of being at someone's feet literally means being submitted to them or, or surrender to them. The idea of, you know, the Lord said, my love, you know, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your Footstool. I put them under your feet. The picture in Genesis chapter 3 of how Jesus will crush the serpent's head. The idea is of a place of submission or surrender. And really, that's what happens when you put your faith and trust in Jesus. You submit yourself to him. You surrender yourself to him. Now, I know that that's not a popular concept today. I know that lots of people don't like that idea. But listen, everybody submits to something or someone. If you get a job, you, in a sense, have submitted yourself to that employer. So if that employer says, this is your hours, you do that. If you don't work these hours, you don't get paid. That's part of the process. And we live in a culture that does not enjoy topics of submission or surrender. But I'm here to tell you, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not surrendered to Jesus, you're not a follower of Jesus. Because even calling him Lord gives him a place of divine authority in your life. And what goes on today, and we talk about this a lot, that... Someone puts their faith and trust in Jesus, right? Which is all that you need to be justified. But for many people today, maybe some of us here, you've trusted Jesus for your salvation, but you don't surrender yourself to him. You don't live submitted to the will of God. You live however you want to live. Now, I'm going to tell you, you can do that, but your life won't be fruitful the way God wants it to be. Because if God says, I want you to love your enemies, you're like, well, I'm really not going to do that then do your enemies get love from you? No. If God says, listen, I want you to stop doing that thing, whatever that thing is for you. And we all have those, right? The spirit of God says, hey, that's not exactly how I want you to be. But if you don't submit yourself to that counsel, then that does not become a part of your life. If Jesus says, I want you to forgive that person, you have to choose to forgive them, don't you? And once you choose to forgive them, you have to continue to forgive them. How many times has somebody hurt you and you forgive them, but you, and you tell them you forgive them, but you really don't? And then something goes on, and you want to roll that old skeleton of hurt back out there again, and then you're like, "Well, we're talking. I, I, I thought you forgave me. Oh yeah, I'm sorry." And you roll that skeleton back in the closet, you know? And like we do that kind of thing, but the idea is, is that Jesus wants each one of us to be surrendered to Him. Like this, you think about how vulnerable Ruth is throughout this story. And this is a very vulnerable position, isn't it? I mean, if this man wasn't a man of integrity, he could take advantage of her. There's all sorts of things that can go wrong here. But Naomi's got a plan. And so I think it's important for you to ask yourself a simple question. Have I surrendered myself to Jesus? And not only one time unto salvation. And if you're here today and you're hearing this and you've never before surrendered to Jesus for the very first time and become born again, I want to give you an opportunity to do that by the end of the service. Like it begins with that decision. But once you have said yes to Jesus, then your growth in Christ comes from continued surrenderings. I don't know how many times I've have to come back to the Lord and be like, Lord, I trust you and teach me to trust you. Lord, I've submitted myself to you, but... Teach me to submit myself in this area, in this situation, in this moment. And that's where growth happens. And I'm sure there's many of you right now where you're saying to yourself, yeah, i got to really surrender, afresh right now. There's parts of my life that I'm not surrendered to him. I know what he wants, but I don't want to do it. This, of course, reminds me of Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Classic story. It says this, and now it happened... As they went, that he entered, speaking of Jesus, a certain village, a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister named Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, You are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. See, many of us are distracted with much serving. And you're getting mad at other people, like, I'm all here busy, and they're just sitting at Jesus' feet, and Lord, tell her to leave. Tell them to get going, I need help. And Jesus is like, hold on. You're a little overwhelmed, Martha. Mary's chosen the right thing. It's not going to be taken from her. See, Jesus likes it when we're at his feet. Now, don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean we say, well, listen, I can't help anybody in the world. I don't want to be a servant. I don't want to help anybody because I got to sit at Jesus' feet. Because we sit at Jesus' feet, we get built up, and then what do we do? Then we serve. In some ways, that's what church is. If you read the book of Ephesians chapter 4, church is designed that we come together. We sit under the word of God so that we get built up so that we can go and serve in all the different areas that we are. The key is to make sure that you get time at Jesus' feet.
1: Jesus is real. Surrender. That's the uncomfortable topic that Pastor Daniel talked about in today's message. As Ruth approached Boaz, hopefully to win his affection and his care, she laid at his feet, an act of surrender. She laid all she was down, giving her loyalty to another. This was what you're meant to do as a follower of Jesus. Surrendering to your Savior means you give all of you to him, letting him give you something greater in return. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. Thanks
0: for joining me on Jesus is Real Radio. I realize that not all of you who listen are followers of Jesus, but I actually believe that there are many of you right now, as you've been listening, you're saying, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus. I want his death and resurrection to be applied to my life. And if that's you, I want you to pray this prayer with me, which is just saying thank you to Jesus for saving you. So go ahead. Repeat this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, I'm so stoked for you and I want to get some more resources in your hands to help you continue this journey. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word saved, S-A-V-E-D to 51400, 51400 and we'll get some resources into your hands. Now don't go anywhere. Some folks
1: from my team want to share some amazing things with you. Thanks, Daniel. Again, if you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Daniel, take out your cell phone and text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 51400. We'd love to get some resources into your hands, and the Crossroads team wants to connect with you. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel shares the blessing of an oasis. Life gets hard sometimes, and you can find yourself longing for someone or something, to give you relief, to restore your soul. This oasis can be created on earth, but it won't fulfill you the way Jesus can. He's waiting for you with open arms, ready to take your burdens, comfort you, and give you strength. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Oasis. Please glance at the clock right now. Make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus Is Real Radio.